Traditional Chinese medicine is an ancient practice making waves in the modern health era, addressing mind, body and soul as one unit TCM aims to connect the human with the being on multiple levels. Health shouldn't be elusive or inaccessible, a notion that this ancient practice adheres to. Our products at Your Tea are merely a stepping stone to this brilliant wellness modality. Hence, we are here to honour and discover the intricacies of revered traditional Chinese medicine. In our podcast, we discuss the Chinese medicine approach and interpretation of health what it means, and how TCM endeavours to achieve it. From endometriosis to digestion, qi to shen, PCOS to menopause, eating to movement, and mind to soul. Endometriosis. Do you have it? Or do you know someone who does? This episode is for you. Once again, we called on TCM Dr. Lauren Curtin to explain endometriosis from a TCM perspective. Lauren explains in depth how each case of endo can be unique and how the symptoms that you experience may not be the same as your friend who struggles with it too. Each case is unique and for some, there may even be a link between unexplained infertility and silent endo. During this episode, we also discuss laparoscopies, what are they, should you be getting one, and how are they viewed from a TCM perspective, the relationship between gut health and endo, inflammatory triggers, and how your diet can either fuel or help relieve endo. Tune in to discover many empowering and easy adjustments you can implement to your lifestyle in order to better manage endo from a TCM perspective. Today, we are talking about endometriosis. Lauren, how is endometriosis explained from a TCM perspective? So from a Chinese medicine perspective, endo can be quite complex. So from a Western perspective, you either have endo or you don't. But from a Chinese medicine perspective, we break the category of endo up into lots of different patterns because everyone can express endo or experience it quite differently. Some women can have horrific bloating where it looks like they're nine months pregnant, their stomachs are really, really hard, so, so swollen, and of course, coming along with a lot of pain. That would be one type of endo. And then there's also when digestion is even more impacted, when there is like really exacerbated premenstrual symptoms like diarrhea, nausea, vomiting, passing out. Just think PMS times a billion is that type of endo when all of the symptoms are completely amplified and then of course accompanied by pain and then there can also be what we call silent endo is when women aren't actually getting any symptoms at all and there's no sign of period pain periods come and go with these there's no pms but there may be issues with fertility and there may just be something not quite adding up in terms of their fertility and some women only actually find out when they go in, into an investi- like an investigative laparoscopy and they're like, oh, they actually have stage three endo and had no symptoms. And I think that's actually a lot more common than people think because we can only actually find out if we have a surgery and obviously not everyone wants to do that straight away. And 
but that one can be quite sneaky because there's actually no symptoms. But when we look at the other symptoms, we can be like, okay, when there's lots of pain from a Chinese medicine perspective, whenever there's pain in the body, it's a sign of blood stagnation. And especially when it comes to our periods and especially when it comes to endo, blood is not flowing freely. And we can see that as all of the lesions that form with endo in the pelvic cavity actually bleed during a menstrual period and the blood's not going anywhere. So it's not shedding like a normal period does. And that creates a lot of inflammation. So from a Chinese medicine perspective, there's a lot of heat present with endo typically, and there's a lot of blood stagnation and often there can be dampness present as well. So interesting. As we've spoken about in previous episodes, can you please explain how gut health may impact endometriosis? From a Chinese medicine perspective, gut health has a huge impact on just menstrual health in general, but absolutely with endo. But even more so now because we're really seeing endo being more and more linked to an immune disorder, not necessarily purely an issue with the reproductive system. And if we think about that, it's like, okay, if it's an issue with the immune system, where is the immune system made? Where do we make you know, 80% of our immune system, it's in the gut. So we really need to make sure that our gut health and our digestive health, what we're eating, all of that, when we're dealing with endo, that needs to be number one because if endo is essentially an inflammatory disease, we can control a lot of inflammation through our diet. And each meal we are having is either cooling down inflammation or exacerbating it. So women can get quite far with endo, with paying attention to their diet and their digestive health. So it plays a really big role with endometriosis. Massive role. Can you please explain the hormonal component of endometriosis? So because it's looking like endo is more linked to an inflammatory disorder, it's not essentially an issue with hormones because for a long time people have thought, It's a hormonal condition. We have to address the hormones and that'll fix the endo. And it may not necessarily be that straightforward. But what we do know is that when inflammation is high, it often increases our estrogen. And we know that estrogen actually feeds endometriosis and can cause it to grow more. But it may not necessarily be causing it. So it's a really important distinction to make. But there are lots of things that we can do to aid our estrogen metabolism and to be decreasing the amount of estrogen that we're either making or that we're getting exposed to and then increasing how well that we're actually eliminating it and processing it out of our body because if some women with endo are consistently getting like uh, estrogenic triggers it's only going to be worsening their endo but honing in on that kind of stuff can also help to improve it and reduce their estrogenic load which hopefully impacts the inflammation. We did cover this in a previous episode, but what are some inflammatory triggers or estrogen mimickers? Yep. Is that the right word? Yeah. Yep. So things that are inflammatory when it comes to food are typically going to be processed foods. So fried foods, foods that come in packets, if they have vegetable oils, they're very inflammatory because they go rancid quite quickly. So if you have endo, you definitely want to be avoiding vegetable oils, canola oil, palm oil, safflower, all that kind of stuff. Also gluten, dairy, and sugar, especially cow's dairy for inflammation. Um, And of course, refined processed sugars are inflammatory. When we look at gluten, we know that 
it can disrupt the small intestine permeability and make the small intestine more permeable. And that's quite an inflamed situation. So if we already have endo happening, we don't want to be just adding fuel to that fire. We want to be decreasing those exposures. So they're the kind of foods I would be avoiding. Of course, you have to go by, if you're working one-on-one with a practitioner, they will guide you specifically to your body. But these are kind of like overall things that you can start to think about in terms of your diet and be like, okay, am I having a lot of processed sugars in my diet? Can I change that at all? And do I notice any changes with my symptoms long-term? In terms of other chemicals, though, we want to be looking at uh, environmental exposures. So looking, obviously, we can't do much about the air that we breathe, but that does have chemicals in it. So we can't control everything. But just being aware that there are things that can impact uh, estrogen. But I mean, pesticides, that's if we're having food that's not organic, it's not accessible to everyone. But food that's been sprayed is very estrogenic. So pesticides, herbicides, all of that kind of stuff very much mimics estrogen in our system. So that means it's going to bind to those estrogen receptors and just skyrocket those levels, which will mean it's going to bring up inflammation as well. So if we can be a bit more picky and opt for more organic as much as we can, it really makes a big difference. It's just unburdening the body, so it's not having as much to deal with. And then we've also got the body products piece. So anything we put onto our skin is going to get directly absorbed into our bloodstream. Our skin's our biggest organ and we have to treat it like it is an actual organ and actually pay attention to what we're putting on our skin. So if we're using uh, products that are synthetically derived, they often mimic estrogen as well. So opting for more natural-based products, organic if you can, is going to just decrease your load and your exposure to estrogen-mimicking chemicals. And that's going to take a really big pressure off your liver, off your gut health, digestive health, and that's going to help lower inflammation totally laparoscopies can you explain this process so a laparoscopy or also known as a lap we can say that because it's much easier (laughs) (laughs) um that's a process where they go in to the tummy and it's basically like investigatory surgery so they blow up the abdomen so they can have a look around and see if there's any endo present or see how everything is looking structurally. So it's a really, really common surgery that's done with endo. And it's a diagnostic surgery. And if they see anything there, then they try and remove it if they can. But sometimes they may go in and not find anything. And then they say, okay, there's no endo there. And you get sewn back up. But if there is endo there, they try and remove it. Um, What we see is quite common is women having repeated laparoscopies which means that they're going in, having some endo removed, having some adhesions removed, which is like fibrous scar tissue, which may be adhering like the bowel to the uterus or the uterus to the bladder, things like this, or the ovaries to the pelvic wall. Um, Adhesions are very like sticky in nature, so they can make different organs stick to each other, and this is absolutely going to cause pain. Um, So they can try and get rid of that through surgery, The only issue is that a lot of women are going in for repeated surgeries and any type of surgery is going to cause scar tissue. And with endo, we're trying to avoid scar tissue being proliferated. But some women are at that stage where they have absolutely no choice and their whole pelvic region may be riddled with scar tissue and they just need some relief. And what we can see as practitioners is women going in for repeated surgeries and maybe they go for a surgery and a year later it's back. So they need another surgery 
year later, it's back again, need another surgery. And this is a vicious cycle we don't want women getting caught in. Obviously, they need support if they need it. But what else can we be doing? Like, can we look at the diet? Can we look at digestion? Can we look at chemical exposure at the same time and see what we can do to help decrease inflammation as much as we can to slow down that progression of endo? You touched on it briefly there, but is there anything a woman may be able to implement if she doesn't want to go ahead with a a lapro just yet? So this is something that's definitely needs to be guided by her doctor as they would know her case best. But there are so many options now for helping to manage endometriosis naturally that women have access to. And this could be through diet. Well, I mean, it's always a combined approach. With endo, it's quite a complex disease or disorder and it needs a multifaceted approach. One thing isn't going to do it. It needs to be a real team effort. Um, So definitely looking at diet, looking at lifestyle, looking at stress, because all those things can be quite inflammatory. We want to cool down inflammation as much as we can. So diet, lifestyle, and even things like pelvic floor physio, looking at wound massage therapy, uterine massage therapy, which can actually help to dissolve certain adhesions naturally through massage. Um, And even like herbal support can be really, really helpful at decreasing inflammation. And things like castor oil packs as well can be an amazing support. Obviously, it's a really combined approach and one thing isn't going to do it. And it's going to take a while as well because with endo, it's very much a long-term project. And just doing one thing once probably isn't going to do a lot. But with consistent effort and work, you can see a change with your health. For someone who may not know, what's a castor oil pack? (gasps) I'm glad you asked. So (laughs) castor oil packs are... This tradition where you can use castor oil, which comes from the castor oil plant, and you can put it on your tummy, like below your belly button or over your liver, and it basically helps to increase blood flow, move stagnation, and clear out congestion. So it's moving lymph, which is really, really important, especially for anything to do with our menstrual cycles, but definitely endo as well. Um, but you use heat as well. So you put the oil on, and then you put a little flannel cloth, and then a heat pack over the top. And the heat allows the oil to penetrate really deeply into the tissues. And for a lot of women, it provides a lot of relief for them. And you don't have to have endo to use it. You can have period pain or you can have some congestion in the pelvis that you really want to move, which is very, very common. And it really helps. And you can even do it over your liver as well. And that's an amazing way to be moving a lot of blood and bringing a lot of blood to the area. Of course, you want to be really guided with how you use this because I do not recommend using it after ovulation if you're trying to conceive because we don't want any heat on your tummy after ovulation. But if you're not trying to conceive, no chance of pregnancy. You can do it throughout your whole cycle. But if you're trying to fall pregnant, it's just for pre-ovulation. But if you're in a situation where you're really focusing on just treating your endo, it's something that you could do every day. But of course, getting a specific advice from your practitioner is what I recommend. Amazing. So you also touched on this very briefly before, but can endo return after a lap? Yes, I see this a lot with women. I mean, for some women, it doesn't. They might have one lap and it's done. They may never get their endo coming back again. It's hard to tell until a few years down the track, though. Um, And they can get a lot of relief instantly in terms of pain. But 
a really big pattern I see in clinic is women going in two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine times. I've seen one woman have 10 laps before. Wow. And for me, this is really sad because, I mean, who wants to have 10 surgeries? That's not ideal. Mm. Or one. Um, And any surgery is going to cause adhesions as well. And obviously, no surgery is probably the preferred method for a lot of people. But at the same time, some women have to do what they have to do. Depends on each person's case. But it can return after a lap because if we look at what we think the cause is of endo, like we have a long way to go at actually understanding all of the processes and mechanisms behind endo. But if we can see that it's to do with inflammation, which is to do with the immune system, removing evidence of endo isn't actually addressing that. It's giving relief, but it may not be addressing the immune system directly. So that's when it needs to go to that next level and actually get to that stage as well and look at at the diet and lifestyle piece and what other supportive things you can be doing to help. Amazing. Focusing now on diet, how is this connected to endometriosis? So it's connected by way of if it's either fueling or helping to relieve endo. So we can look at that from the hormonal perspective because our foods have such a big influence on our hormonal balance. And with endo, we want to be helping to reduce estrogen as much as we can. And we can get pretty far doing that through food by regulating our estrogen levels, reducing estrogenic exposures, and then also helping the liver to be metabolizing all of our hormones much more effectively and inflammatory proteins. So we can get pretty far in terms of making diet changes, but it does have to be, in my experience, pretty strict. (laughs) So people have to be pretty committed to really see a massive change and it is a long-term thing. So one month of doing this isn't going to make much of a difference, but more like three to six months, people are going to see a change. And when you say long-term of doing this, Mm -hmm. is that a certain type of foods that you recommend? Obviously it may be quite individualized to people and their circumstances Um, at the start you mentioned the different levels of endo but what are some basic types of foods that you would recommend for someone with endo I like to keep it really really simple and going back to basics with food and going for more of like a whole foods approach so focusing on half your plate being vegetables for example having lots of good healthy fats and then having good protein as well. Um, we need to be focusing on liver health with endo. So that's when the brassica family veggies can be amazing because they especially help to clear out excess estrogen. So that would be things like your cauliflower, cabbage, kale, bok choy, Brussels sprouts, all of those kind of veggies in that brassica family are really good at eliminating excess estrogen. And of course, from a Chinese medicine perspective, we want them to be really, really nicely cooked and really easy to digest and absorb. And then avoiding any inflammatory triggers like processed foods as much as we can, gluten, dairy, and sugar, alcohol, and for some women, coffee needs to go as well. But it really depends on the person. Chatting now about emotions, how is this connected to endo? There is a huge emotional component with endo. We see this a lot, and I think it's really multifaceted. So... There is some research pointing towards it's close to 80% of women with endo have had history of sexual trauma or trauma in their life, 
which is huge. I think, think that's something that we can really ignore, that that's a massive part of what's going on with endo. Huge. And if it's not the cause, it's at least playing a role. Like there's something going on there that we really need to delve into in terms of helping women process trauma and helping them to deal with things that may have happened in the past. At the same time, there's also the ongoing battle some women have currently living with endo because being in chronic pain, not just with their period, but every other day as well, a lot of the time, is really, really draining on people. And it's very, very disheartening. It's very frustrating. And there is like higher suicide attempts with women with chronic pain and with women with endo because it is so hard to live with. And that plays a huge role. And even from a Chinese medicine perspective, pain disturbs the mind and it really is unsettling for the mind. So whenever we work with endo, we focus a lot on calming the shen and calming the mind to help manage dealing with this pain every day. Absolutely. And are there certain things you would suggest or certain practices to help calm the mind? I mean, there's so many things that we can choose from now, but I would pick the super easy things we don't even have to pay for, like deep belly breaths. It sounds stupidly simple, but it's one of the quickest ways to calm down our nervous system. And so it activates the vagus nerve, which taps into the brain to get us to go into our parasympathetic rest, digest and calm. And purely by taking deep breaths into your tummy. So when you breathe in, your tummy expands. And when you exhale, your tummy contracts. That type of rhythmic breathing actually stimulates that nerve and gets you into that calm state. So this is something that you have access to any time of the day. You can do this when you're driving, you can do it when you're at work. Focusing on belly breaths is something that you can do at any time. And it's only going to be helping your whole system because the more that we're in our parasympathetic, the more our body can do the jobs that it needs to do, whether it's regulating digestion, regulating hormones, regulating liver health, clearing out inflammation, all of those good jobs get done when we're in our rest, digest and calm state. So we can never have too much belly breathing. And then if women are interested, they can look into things like doing a yoga practice, especially practices that focus on moving a lot of stagnation in the pelvis and in the hips, because we definitely store a lot there. And from a Chinese medicine perspective, we need to be inviting flow back in and inviting movement back in because there is that tendency with chronic pain to contract and not want to move as much. And then there is things like doing um, pelvic floor, like rehabilitation to calm some overactive muscles because that's another thing that will happen with chronic pain is that a lot of pelvic muscles are just in overdrive and they're just almost in spasm due to the pain, which is Mm. completely understandable. Um, And then there is also things like wound massage, uterine massage, to actually physically get in there through the tummy um, and start moving the organs around gently because our reproductive system should have some movement to it. And if it's fixed in one position, that can be really common with endo due to the adhesions. And wound massage can help to gently guide the reproductive system back into optimal positioning and invite blood flow and circulation back into the pelvis. Amazing. And I do believe that we are going to have an episode later on um, covering womb massage. So that will be a great one to explore in more depth. So if a woman wants to try and address endo naturally, what's the time frame? You did mention before that it has to become more of a lifestyle and something that has to be stuck to for more than, let's say, one month. 
Yeah, absolutely. Definitely needs to be more than a month. And especially considering that our hormones typically balance in a three-month cycle, we would need to be trying something for at least three months to see what kind of effect it is actually having on our bodies. But I would say with endo, it really depends on the person and it depends on their history and their extent of their endo and what stage they're in. Because for some women, this could just be a long-term thing and may never actually end. (laughs) They may have to continuously be working on managing their endo. And for some women, they can actually get to a stage where it's almost in remission. It's being really nicely managed and they can live their lives again. Mm. It just depends on the extent because for some other women, it has to be a daily thing. So it depends on the person. I know that's really vague, but um, it's definitely long term. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much again for your time today, Lauren. We really appreciate it. And we know that a lot of women will really benefit from listening to this information and all of your knowledge. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of TCM Honoured by Your Tea. The views expressed on today's episode are those of the independent authors and commentators and do not constitute medical or pharmaceutical advice. If you enjoyed this episode, please let us know by leaving a review and subscribing. If you have any questions, you can reach us on Instagram at yourtea or by emailing us at hello at yourtea.com.